Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I am joined by my co-host and branding expert, Neil Haley. Neil, how are you today? Doing great. Well, that's good, and uh, you know it's uh, it's another Monday, and you know getting another week underway as uh, summer's winding down. I put my cover on the pool this week, and it was a little depressing. <laughs> it always is when the cover goes on; it's kind of like defeat, right? But um, oh well, it's done. At least I'm not going to keep running the filter, putting the chemicals in. So we uh, now we always start to show off with a few recent safety news items, and since our guest tonight is an expert on cyber crime and cybersecurity, I felt it appropriate that we focus tonight's safety news segment on that. So to start off, just uh, some, some real sort of scary statistics for everybody is that a recent report that just came out states that nearly two-thirds of all retailers in the United States have been hit by some sort of data breach. And about 37% of those suffered that breach within the past year. So since almost all retailers have some sort of sensitive data in some format, Obviously, the need to protect that data really is of paramount importance for them, as it is for everybody. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, you have to invest in that safety, you know, and security technology. And so, you know, a lot of the surveyed respondents did say exactly that. About 62% of them said they do plan on spending more money to upgrade their security in the, the coming months and year. Because as we all know, things change very rapidly in the world of technology, and the world of cybercrime is no exception. Now, it's not just retailers. Uh, we've got experts uh, or um, victims potentially in all kinds of different segments of the of different markets. We have airports that have to worry. Uh, their uh, traffic control systems, obviously, it would be an absolute nightmare if something like that happened you know, to them. Casinos, uh, hotels, we've seen a lot of breaches happen to municipal governments. And these are all places that are targeted by cyber criminals and are all potential victims of things like ransomware attacks uh, or stolen data or both. So when we take that and we couple it now with the massive growth of the Internet of Things devices, what are called IoT devices, that are being connected to the Internet in staggering numbers, it's you know very big threat, very big risk, and it almost becomes too, too much to comprehend. And when you begin to understand the, the sheer numbers that are involved and what can potentially occur, some people don't sleep at night because of it, you know? And I mean, there's some nights I think about some of these things and it can be scary. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily scare people, just let you know that security is something that you cannot ignore. But when you think about things like your home security system, you know, it's connected to the internet. That could be compromised. We've got an election going to be coming up next year. Voting machines are connected to the internet. They could be compromised. You've got smart appliances. You've got all, now you've got internet-connected vehicles on the road with all kinds of technology that allows them to actually do things without your input, right? They can apply the brakes automatically. They can detect you know, lane detection you know, when you're changing lanes or you're drifting out of your lane. Well, what happens if one of those software programs that runs these things is compromised and some code is inserted into them? And it changes how that vehicle detects the lane changing. So it thinks you're in your lane, but you're really not. 
right? So, I mean, these things are all stuff that people like myself and people like tonight's guests think about because we understand that these things are vulnerable and we are all becoming so reliant on our technology that I firmly believe it's become our Achilles heel. So, we depend on technology for so many things that we're losing the skills that we had not that many years ago, right? How many people know how to even read a map today, right? Everybody relies on their GPS. Turn here, turn here, turn there. You're, you're at your destination. Well, if you had a map in your hands, I bet a lot of people would be like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to read this thing, right? So we're relying on things, you know, that are technology for so many things, whether it's even our, our finances, right? A lot of people don't carry cash anymore. You've got an e-wallet. You've got your credit card. You've got your debit card. You use that for your transactions. What happens if you're on a road trip and you pull into a gas station and the power's out? And they're only taking cash. And you've got no cash. And now you can't put any cash in your car. Now what do you do? Right? You can't put gas in because you can't pay for it. You're stuck. So as we become more you know, into a cashless society and as we become more and more dependent on technology, it's, it's, you know, it's very interesting. And it makes you start to think. And it can be a little scary. But I don't want to get too far into it. But I'm sure my conversation with tonight's guest is going to cover some interesting ground. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to tonight's guest who's going to be talking to us about cyber crime and cybersecurity. Uh, he's a technology leader with nearly 30 years of experience. He has earned numerous industry certifications to go along with his bachelor's degree in information systems, something that he and I both share. Uh, and he's especially good at bridging the gap between business and technology. And this is a, this is a very, very important skill. He's delivered more than 200 successful software solutions for many happy clients. He has written or contributed to a dozen books on technology, and he's written more than 100 articles related to technology for various publications. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dave Hatter to Safety Talk. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, Pete. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Appreciate you being here. I'm excited to have you on the show because, you know, we want to talk about your expertise in cybersecurity, and I think our conversation is going to, you know, take some interesting twists and turns because uh, it's something that we're both very passionate about and, and involved with, and uh, something I'm focused a lot with in my technology consulting business, as I know you are. With you, you have a your own company, correct? Uh, actually, not anymore. I did it one time, sold it, and I work for a, a local Cincinnati-based company that does uh, basically we're an MSP with a cybersecurity consulting angle. Because, you know, our businesses need that sort of thing. And you touched on a lot of interesting topics there on the way in that I think about all the time, like the autonomous cars. You won't see me in, in, auton in any kind of autonomous car anytime soon, I can tell you. Nope, not until it's never an option, and then I'll still find some old yep. meter to drive. <laughs> well, are you familiar with the Rush song, Red Barchetta? Oh, yes. If uh -huh. you're not, yeah, yeah. That was sort of a prophecy there. You know, if you go back and listen to the words of that song, it's pretty interesting how they sort of predicted where we would be 40 years later. Yeah, it is a heck of a song. It's a great song and very interesting for our listeners that are not familiar with it. Go listen to Rush's Red Barchetta. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of what's going on today, I think we should probably just kind of start off with what you're seeing in some of the current trends. I mean, we see things in the news all the time, but what are some of the current trends that you would sort of like to bring our listeners' attention to? Well, I think ransomware is a big one. You touched on that. Uh, we see a lot of ransomware. Uh, you mentioned the whole municipal angle, seen a lot of that sort of thing going on. And I think a lot of people still think it just won't happen to them. And, you know, unfortunately, it can happen to you, and it can be absolutely devastating when it does. So 
Ransomware is a big one we continue to see out there in the wild. Uh, business email compromise. I don't think a lot of people really know what that is when you say that. Um, I describe it as a sort of targeted form of phishing. We have increasingly seen extremely targeted attacks um, around phishing where they'll use phishing to get into someone's organization uh, and then just lurk in there, see what they can find. We, we saw an example here recently where a company was in a settlement discussion. So I'll just call them party A and party B. Party A thought they were dealing with party B. Party B actually was not really the other company. It was someone who broke into their network, lurked around in there, became aware of this settlement agreement, pretended to be party B's attorney, agreed to a settlement, went online through an electronic signature process, oh signed off on everything, and the party A sent them a very large check for several hundred thousand dollars thinking they were settling this lawsuit. Eventually, party B says, hey, what's the status of this? And party A is like, well, what do you mean? We settled. <laughs> like, no, you didn't. And oh, uh, yeah, so they, yeah, so they made off with uh, several hundred thousand dollars. That still hasn't oh been resolved. Goodness. And we've, we've seen a lot of that kind of thing where the bad guys will use various forms of phishing attacks to break in and just lurk and look for that kind of activity where they can insert themselves in the process, set up some forwarding rules or something on a mailbox. Next thing you know, you know, the emails are going elsewhere and they're basically becoming an imposter of someone and, you know, sending out fake invoices and having wire transfers diverted somewhere else. So we've seen a lot of this. I think it's, the, so the FBI yeah. just recently uh, put out a stat that said between 2016 and 2019, business email compromise has amounted to about $26 billion in loss. Now, Dave, I mean, when I hear this, I think the biggest thing is that people just in companies make the stupidest mistakes of opening up emails before they know what's coming. A lot of stuff I see with the company I'm with now where I'm seeing emails come through that are, they look legit. They look like they're from that specific company. And you know for a fact that that's not how these companies communicate. But if it looks so authentic, people will click on it, right? Yeah, I think the, the bad guys have gotten much smarter in terms of crafting phishing attacks. Another thing I saw recently, um, there's been some real targeted phishing-oriented attacks on university students. They know when students go back to school, they're going to be in kind of a frenzy. So they'll go to a, a library website of a university, scrape everything off of it, send out a phishing email to... 100,000, 10,000 students and say, uh, your library uh, access is expired. Uh, click here to fix it. And of course, you know, they just get their credentials, at which point they can access these back end student systems that are chock full of all kinds of really helpful information if you're an identity thief. And they also know that many people, unfortunately, don't follow good uh, cyber hygiene practices like a strong password for every site. So, you know, they might get your bank account too. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the phishing people have gotten much craftier. It's much harder to tell what's real and what's fake nowadays. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people get taken on these things is they've gotten much better. It's not the obvious red flags where the language doesn't make any sense and there's misspellings all over the place and that sort of thing. They're very good at this now. What I've seen is, uh, is exactly what you're talking about in terms of how it's evolved. Because it used to be it was much easier to spot these things because of things like mm -hmm. bad grammar or an obvious email address or just it was the kind of thing where it was like, oh, that's totally bogus. Yep, delete. But now, as you said, they've become professionals. They're actually going to a company website. They're finding out the list of the names of the board of directors. They're finding out the names of the employees and the owners and the accounts and all this information. And then they're building this whole sort of 
uh, infrastructure of deceit that they then use to infiltrate the organization. They say, hey, you know, this is so-and-so in accounting. Exactly. And I was just told by uh, Joe Schmo on the board of directors that we need to resolve this and he needs this purchase done ASAP. Can you please send a wire to this company at this address and this information? And the person's going, oh, they need that done right now? I knew that is. I better do it or I'm going to get in trouble because he's one of the higher ups in the company. And it's totally fabricated. But people don't, some of them now are, are, are maybe taking a few steps to, to validate it. But then at the same time, yeah, it's like, who am yeah. I to question what the wow. boss wants, right? So you kind of get stuck in this position of like, it might be legit. And if it is legit and I don't do it or I question it, I might get in trouble. But at the same time, if it's not legit and I don't question it, I'm going to get in trouble. Like you, you, you can't win sometimes, you know? Yeah, I, you're exactly right. And I'll tell you two more stories. One is a firsthand story. I think companies though, to kind of, before I jump into these stories, companies need to have, policies in place where folks know what to do when these things happen rather than think, "Uh Oh, I better do this because it looks like it's my boss. You know, a, there needs to be training and education and awareness around the fact that these fishing campaigns have gotten much slicker and that the bad guys will get in and they'll lurk and they'll look for an opportunity to inject themselves in a stream of what would have been a legitimate transaction. And then B, you know, people, there needs to be a policy that says, if you receive this kind of communication, you need to use some kind of out-of-band verification process. You know, you need right. to talk to that person in person. You need to initiate some kind of transaction. There needs to be some way for you to verify and validate that what you're being asked to do is real. So here's, right. here's two more kind of crazy, shocking stories. So we have a customer. Their network got breached. They had some, some security issues. They let a guy go. And I'm not convinced this isn't an insider job yet, but they let a guy go. And then not too long afterwards, they had their third-party 401k administrator breached, and uh, four employees had almost $500,000 taken out of their 401k accounts because someone knew what forms were required to request distributions. They knew roughly how much money was in these people's accounts because they didn't request more than was in there. So there was never a red flag like, well, you ought to know how much money's in your account, right? You wouldn't ask for more than what's in there. And uh, so they went through the process. They even had the temerity to call in and pretend to be these people and ask when they could expect the distributions. So, yeah, I mean, think about that for a second. So, these, you know, yeah, it's I don't think people realize that the bad guys potentially stand to make a whole lot of money with these kind of scams if they can pull them off. So it's, it's worth it to spend three, four months, five months waiting, hoping, you know, looking for these kind of things. So. The first-hand experience, you, you touched on one that literally I saw firsthand. So in my spare time, I don't have a lot of spare time, that's a joke. Uh, I'm the mayor of Fort Wright, Kentucky, right? We're just south of Cincinnati. It's a small city, about oh 6,000. All right, mayor. We and, get the mayor uh, on, too. Yeah, yeah. Trust me. It's it's not all it's cracked up to be, <laughs> let me tell you. But I was, I was on city council a long time before I was mayor, so I knew the city clerk really well, and I'm constantly talking about this stuff and warning people about this stuff, you know? So... Not too awful long after I became mayor, city clerk got an email, spoofed email, looks like it came from my mail account and wanted to know how much uh, money was on our checking account. So she replies to it. And then she gets another email where they want her to do an international wire transfer. Thankfully, she's like, that doesn't seem right. You know, we don't do business internationally. Why would Dave be asking me for this? So thankfully, she had the good sense to call. I'm like, yeah, that's a scam. Stop. Whatever you're doing, stop, stop. right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because we, we could potentially be out a whole lot of money here. So, you know, I'm sure they went to the website 
looked it up, found me on there, figured out what my email address was and, and sent her an email just to see what would happen. Because also her name was out there. And that's, that's one of the problems. While I personally am a big fan of social media and how I can help a business, at the same time, people are putting so much information about themselves out there. Exactly. It makes it, it, makes it much easier to pretend to be someone, right? Because right. if you start asking me any sort of superficial kind of questions, chances are I can know a whole lot about you if I've gone out and just done a little open source intelligence using all this free information that's out there. So now, Dave, and this is the problem is that people do put out too much on social media. As a social media expert, I see it all the time, especially on Facebook. They give all this information out, and then people go ahead, look for when they mention their pets, look for when they mention their their, their kids, look for when they mention there's a birthday. And then they start to look at hacks and then they try to go ahead then and say, okay, let me go ahead and create an account that's fake like theirs and start to fish other people that know me. Know me. And then once I get the information, I ask for more money, but then I'll have information on those people or vice versa. They find that information. They act as someone else and have communication back and forth to try to fish as much information about you like it's a, a some sort of romantic scam and they're just getting with you to get all the information possible so they could try to hack into your account. That's the dangers yeah. of social media right there in a nutshell. You're, you're exactly right. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening who've had the experience where you forget your password. So they start to ask you all those questions you answered, you know, this, uh, the password recovery question. And in many cases, it's exactly what you said, Neil, they've gone out and looked all this stuff up about you and, Oh, you know, where did you go to high school? Well, you put it out there in Facebook. Where did you, you know, go to college? What's your dog's name? All that kind of stuff they ask you. I mean, it's, it's right there at their fingertips in many cases. That's scary. And if someone, if someone can use that stuff to get into your bank account because you have a terrible password off the, you know, 25 worst passwords list, or you use the same password that was breached in some kind of, you know, big breach that they bought off the dark web, they can drain your, your account. They can do almost anything. And yes, I, people just, yeah, they just don't believe this. They don't believe it can happen to them. Now, there's something that, you know, there has been so much focus on cybercrime, and we are seeing more and more in the news about it. We've seen so many people talk about it. We're talking about it, how important it is to stay protected and to stay safe, et cetera. And it's, you would think that with all of the attention being sort of brought to bear on the problem that we would see some improvements happening, but yet I think it's going still in the wrong direction. I mean, I just read something the other day that I think the, the projection for like 2021 is something like $6 trillion worldwide. And I had to look twice. I'm like, wait, not billions. It was like trillions of dollars between lost productivity, ransoms being paid, businesses going out of business, the types of scams you're talking about where, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars at a clip are going out. This money adds up huge. So why, why do you think that in spite of all the attention and the focus being given to the problem, it's, it's still becoming, it's, it's still such an issue? Is it because these guys are just getting smarter and smarter and they're figuring ways around? Or what's your take on it, Dave? Well, I agree with you completely. I think it's getting worse and continues to get worse. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, I saw that same statistic. That is a mind numbing number to think $6 trillion of loss as a result of various types of fraud like that. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's insane, but I think a lot of it has to do with a couple of things. I don't, 
think kind of going back to what I said before, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just one person. This will never happen to me or my business is too small. You know, they're not going to come after me. And in actuality, you know, the big companies have a lot of resources. They're, they're making it very difficult for the bad guys, whereas the average person sitting at home right now or who happens to go to Starbucks and jump on the free Wi-Fi that's unprotected and gets caught up in a man-in-the-middle attack or something, they're thinking it can't happen to them. And I don't think they understand also that a lot of this stuff is automated. It's not like there's someone sitting in their basement exactly. thinking, I think I'll hack Dave Hatter tonight. You know, they go out and buy a list of 100 million names. They send out 100 million phishing emails knowing that if they can just get one-tenth of one percent of that and get a couple thousand bucks out of them, whether it's ransomware, whether it's they break into their bank account or whatever, they just made a lot of money. It cost them virtually nothing. Yeah. Not a lot of effort, not a lot of risk because most of them aren't in the United States when they do this. And, you know, if this list doesn't work, I buy another list tomorrow. So much of this stuff is automated. You know, again, they're not targeting this particular person in most cases. And I think, again, a lot of, a lot of the, the bigger, harder targets keep getting harder and harder. The banks have gotten very good at fraud and how to detect fraud and protect themselves from fraud. But a lot of smaller businesses don't think it can happen to them. They're not really willing to invest money in it because they don't see the return on investment, which I understand. You know, that's, that's part of the pitch you got to make is, well, if you suddenly couldn't operate for four days because your systems were down thanks to ransomware, even if you had some kind of relatively simple to fix ransomware, can you go four days without being able to access your system? You know, what's the impact on your customers? What's the impact on the goodwill to your business? So I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it. I think, you know, the tools, you know, there, there's actual cyber crime as a service out there. You can go out and basically rent space to launch these kind of attacks. There's all kinds of free tools. The tools keep getting better and better. So, and I, I think the bad guys realize they got to strike while the iron is hot. You know, as, as more and more of this hits the news and gets these big headlines and people become more aware and you got old Doomsday Dave out here with his tinfoil hat on, you know, constantly talking about this and you guys talking about it. People get aware and they start to improve their cybersecurity posture. It's going to be harder for the bad guys. So I think you see, you know, they're trying to, it's like a gold rush. They're trying to cash in while they can before it starts to get a lot harder. And it is, because, and thing. it is, oh, sure. And it's, and it's very simple, as you said, to do, because a lot of this stuff is automated. Some of the more sophisticated ones where they identify a potential big target, like in the case where you mentioned, where so getting in the middle of a lawsuit and diverting funds for a settlement or getting involved with a company somehow. And, you know, that has major assets, maybe from like an espionage standpoint that you want to learn about so you can create a competing product, maybe from a, you know, some other government entity or whatnot. I mean, so there are some of those, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you can, anybody can go out there and they can basically create their own ransomware, you know, business opportunity. Uh, and it's scary yeah. because you most of it's offshore. You can't, there's no extradition. What are you going to do if you can even find these guys? I mean, I know what I would like to do to these guys. If I ever found them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I mean, with I, you on that. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I had a client just, you know, a couple months ago got hit, you know, and then we got just about everything back, but one database, the backup was corrupt and we had to rebuild it from all these other databases and build a custom program that pulled all the most current data in. And then they just had to, thank God they had their end of year balances from only three weeks before that they were yeah, able to that, recreate the transactions. But you know, the, it was ransomware. They, they wanted 20 grand. They were like, we're not paying that. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. Now they were able to absorb that. However, there are other businesses that can absorb that four days loss or that 20 grand or that 200 grand or 2 million or whatever that yeah. number happens to be. And it, and it changes for everybody. 
So, I mean, and, and they're attacking all different ways. I mean, like you're, you're mentioning a very interesting story there with the, the, the settlement being redirected. Um, you, have you, what other ways have you seen? I know personally I've seen they're starting to come in now through remote desktop connections, uh, pretty much anything. Seen that remote desktop, if, if you have remote desktop turned on and, and available to the internet, you're just, you're just begging to get hit with ransomware. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that recently. Um, again, similar kind of attack. It wasn't ransomware, but someone went out. Well, they got into a mailbox. They lurked around in there. They realized this was a financial person who was responsible for invoicing. So they went out and literally registered a new domain that was one letter off of the real company's domain and then started sending out invoices from a mail account with this new domain that looked almost exactly like the real thing. So if you blink, yeah, you miss I, it. I, yeah, exactly. You know, unless you're paying extremely careful attention. And of course, it had the name of real people from the real company in there because they'd scraped all that stuff out of the email. So, yeah, I, you know, a lot of this stuff, I think most companies are probably doing the bare minimum stuff. They got some kind of, you know, anti-malware endpoint protection in place. Whether it's any good or not is another question. They got some kind of basic firewall, that sort of thing. But I don't think they're really thinking about, okay, what kind of, you, you mentioned IoT before, what kind of devices are people bringing in and plugging in my network? Who's got a hotspot turned on that's creating some sort of split tunnel or something that's potentially going to let hackers into the network? Because, you know, even if you have pretty good security, now you've got all these new types of devices people are bringing in. You've got people turning on services that don't really understand that, you know, this is a potential hole if someone can get to it. Or they've got a machine that now is connected to a hotspot or something that's got RDP turned on. Yeah, there's all these different ways bad guys can get in. And, you know, they're, again, I don't think the regular, the non-technical person realizes, you know, I can get a tool like Nessus or I don't know, any, any kind of, there's a bazillion tools out there and just port scan and see what I find. Oh, you have this RDP port open or you have this SQL server port open or whatever. Let me see what I can find in there. And next thing you know, your stuff's encrypted and they want, you know, $50,000 in Bitcoin or, or whatever it is they're going to ask for. You got to keep your stuff backed up. So, so Dave, this you is, just, this, is cra this is crazy when you hear all this, because again, you really have to be as aware situational awareness on the internet as you do in public, just as oh, acting as a normal person, you have to have the same situational awareness when you are surfing the web or using anything involving technical technology. I agree completely. Yeah. In fact, in some ways, I think it's even worse now because if you're out in public, I mean, obviously, if you're in a dark alley in a bad area, you're at a lot more risk than if you're just walking down the street in the middle of the day. But, you know, bad things obviously happen in public. But on the Internet, you know, it's, it's like the Wild West every second of every day. And it's, it's just getting wilder because the bad guys are getting more sophisticated and frankly, more bold. I mean, who would call? Uh, the 401k company to make sure that the the you know fraudulent distributions you've asked for are on the way. That's that's gutsy. Yes, it is. And when these people figure, you know what, what's the worst that can happen is they say no because I'm not going to get caught. Nobody's going to going to find me. So it's it's scary stuff. And the the only thing that you can do is to have good copies of your data backed up securely, not just on site or but off-site because a lot of systems, once they're compromised, if you've got a backup drive connected to the server and yep. it's not using some specialized you know, backup software, guess what? All the files on the backup just got corrupted. So you got to have stuff off-site. You got to have some other you know, sort of managed service that is tracking and, and watching 
your network, your internet, your router, your server, your devices, and make sure that these things are protected as much as possible. Now, we talked about Internet of Things. I mentioned earlier, you just mentioned it again. I think a lot of people aren't really sure exactly what that means. I mean, they explained it a little bit, but what do you see as the, the biggest risks to all these hundreds of thousands and millions of new devices that are being connected through this Internet of Things? Yeah, I, I want to reiterate what you said about backups. It's you just if you're a business and you don't have good backups and you're not testing those backups to make sure you can restore from them, you're just asking for disaster, whether it's a lightning strike or a flood, tornado, or some kind of cyber attack. If you don't have good backups, you're just you're just asking for it. But as far as Internet of Things, you know, in my mind, anything that you can connect to a network is part of the Internet of Things. But most people don't really think of computers, right? They're thinking it's, it's the ring doorbell. It's the smart refrigerator that you didn't really need, but you just couldn't resist or the smart TV or whatever, you know, for me, I'm not going to have a refrigerator that's telling the insurance company how much of anything I'm eating. You know, I'm just not going right. to do that. I hate to sound so paranoid. And no, because then they're going to jack your rates. They're going to say, Oh, you're eating unhealthy. And if you're going to eat these mm -hmm. things that we know are bad for you, we're going to charge you more for your health insurance. It's, Lots. it's coming. It's coming. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you've now got all these so-called smart devices um, that are collecting data that are part of the network that can potentially be hacked. With, and we've seen, you know, many, many, many examples over the last four or five years of these kind of devices being hacked. You know, the baby camera that gets turned on and there's some weird dude talking to your kid in the room through the baby monitor. You know, I think, A, people don't realize the potential privacy impact of these devices as well as the fact that they can be hacked and easily used as a way to leverage into your network and then to whatever other nefarious purpose the bad guys have in mind once they get in there. Um, so, you know, you go out and you buy a ring doorbell or you buy a Nest thermostat or whatever it is because virtually anything is smart now. You know, do I really need a light bulb that is collecting data about how I'm using it? I don't. I could, you know, I could understand in an industrial setting where you're trying to measure your energy use and you know, potentially there's some right. good ROI on that. I get it, but I don't need a smart light bulb. I don't need all this smart stuff in my house because A, I know a lot of that stuff gets rushed to the market before it's really ready and security is often an afterthought at best. And there's countless examples of these products being hacked, including children's toys. You know, that's always a topic around uh, Christmas time. Do you really want to have some sort of internet of things toy, some kind of internet connected Barbie or whatever it is? And there's some for any, any parents out there, look these things up. There's been some crazy happenings with this, whether it's the company leaking data about your kid or people hacking these devices to, you know, talk to your kid and that sort of thing. There's all kinds of wild stuff out there, but people are buying all this stuff without a whole lot of thought about, okay, once I plug it into my network, is it secure out of the box? What do I need to do to keep it secure? I mean, everyone knows they got to update their phone occasionally. They know they got to update their PC occasionally. But are they thinking, hmm, I'm going to have to update that smart light bulb I bought because there's a flaw in it? Right. You know, they won't even know that. They won't know that. So that's the oh, big and the technology and the security doesn't can't even begin exactly. to be no, not to be at all. good. No. It it's not even good in those devices. Because they're tiny. There's only so much circuitry you can put in them. Yeah. And so the, the, the crazy thing, Dave, is the fact that all these different things that they can do for you. And you think, well, more technology, the better things. But I always get concerned when you talked about Facebook. Think about all the information we give away on the Internet and everything. 
in all different types of ways. We talked about Facebook and social media, but also talked about all these giveaways, all of these things. You know, there's scams out there. Hey, win, win a $500 Walmart gift card. Yeah, you got to go through 65 questions to get that $500 <laughs> one. They've already gotten enough information. It's not a scam, but it truly is a scam, Dave, because you've given your information. Now you're going to get robocalls from everyone and their mother. And you don't, and then they give it to other people and sell your lists even more. Because and by the by, by the time you ever get to a Walmart five hundred dollar gift card, you've given your whole life away. Yeah, well, or, or just just using Facebook. You know, I didn't coin this term. I wish I would have thought of it. I don't even know where I heard it. Someone smarter than me came up with it. But you know, if you're not paying with money, you're paying with data. You're the product, not the customer. And that's the way a lot of these things work. You know, you are the product. Mm -hmm. They want to collect as much data about you, whether it's through your smart light bulb or Facebook or Instagram or whatever the latest and greatest new thing that comes along. You know, I try to tell my kids this all the time and anyone that will listen to me, when you go out and you just download some app, whatever that, whatever that app is, right? If it didn't come from some kind of known reputable vendor, Microsoft, Oracle, IBM, Apple, somebody like that, and you didn't pay for it, it it's not because some developer was just sitting around and thought, you know, out of the goodness of my heart, I think I'll spend hundreds of thousands of hours of, you know, very difficult work to build this thing and just give it away for free. They want your data and they're going to suck up as much of your data as they can. They're now, getting something they, for it. Yeah. And maybe they don't have any sort of nefarious intent for it, but what happens when they get hacked or they get sold to someone else who will agree to the terms of service that you originally agreed to or whatever, you know, every day we see these gigantic breaches. People are getting hacked as a result of that. You know, my advice to people generally is try to limit your footprint and understand people aren't just giving these things away because they're nice guys. And it's amazing to me that, that people are downloading apps and that says, this app needs access to your contacts, your camera, your microphone, yeah. your it, everything. It's like, I downloaded this game. Like, what do you need that for, Right. But because yeah, exactly. it's a free game, it's not really free. It's accessing information and all of this stuff. There's no such thing as privacy anymore unless you are so vigilant about it. And even then, it's nearly impossible to be, you know, ha have any sort of privacy unless you're completely unplugged from everything and you live in the middle of the woods somewhere with nothing. It's just yeah. you can't get away from it because there are microphones and cameras on every street corner. I mean, everything that we do with, on our phones, every search that we do online. All this information is going into these huge, vast treasure troves of information databases that people are able to pull out. Oh, who's interested in this, this, and that that lives here, that bought a house here with this many kids, boom, 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 boom. and they plug in all the numbers and boop, here's your list. And we start yep. marketing to it. Well, I mean, it's fantastic it, for advertisers and businesses, yeah. but not yeah, for the general public. If you're an advertiser, it's great for you to be able to say, okay, ba uh, the, the giant database of information I already have will predict who's going to buy something, right? And then exactly like you said, Pete, now I'm going to go in and find those people and whether it's a phone call or a text or an email or an ad that pops up on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they can micro-target the heck out of people. And, uh, you know, obviously the results are good because we know that Google, Amazon, Apple, you know, particularly the advertising-oriented companies like Google and Amazon are making ridiculous amounts of money. Facebook. Yep. Yeah. Tons of cash. Ridiculous. So what about privacy? I mean, there, you know, there are, there's legislation out there for privacy. This is obviously a big problem. Um, the new privacy regulations, what sort of impact do you think they're going to have, if any? 
That is a really good question. Um, you know, GDPR has got some, I think if you look at it from the, so GDPR, general data uh, protection, I think it's rule. It's, it's the privacy it's a big rights thing or from, something. Yeah. Yeah. Some from, you know, EU's privacy rules. And from a business standpoint, you know, some of these rules are pretty onerous, but if you're just a regular guy like me or you, you know, there's some benefit there. If you're an e, a citizen of the EU, if you're doing business, um, with anyone there, you know, there's a lot of new requirements you have to meet. Um, there's some massive fines, you know, you've got New York has made some moves in this direction. California has a new privacy law. You know, most states kind of have something on the books about data breach um, and, and having to say that you've been breached and that kind of thing. The new law from California is, is pretty interesting. Um, I think you're going to see more of these kind of things. Now, it's interesting because Microsoft and some of the other big players out there have recently sort of seemed to get on the bandwagon of supporting these things. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced. It's not because they ultimately want to control the direction they go in and water them down as much as possible. You think? Because it's not really, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not really in their interest for you to be able to limit the amount of information they can get. Um, you know, like Microsoft came out recently exactly, pretty strong yeah. on, on facial recognition and, and against facial recognition, which I think is, is really interesting um, because, you know, just sort of, in my mind, sort of out of nowhere, or maybe I missed it up to this point. They just really came out kind of strong on that. But yeah, I don't, I don't really trust the big tech players because, you know, if you take away all of the data collection that, that Google or Facebook is doing uh, that drives all the advertising revenue they're making. Now, you know, they've got other products, but that's where a gigantic bulk of their money comes from. So yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to be looking out for our privacy but I do think you're going to see more regulation in that space. Will it help? I hope so. But I think really, you know, a lot people to a large extent could have a lot more privacy if they understood how these things work and realized it's really not in their interest to just say, oh, you want to give me something free? Sure, I'll download it and give it every permission under the sun and, and just hope that it works out well, you know. Or fill out uh, the 57 you know. <laughs> question survey for the free, you know, Walmart <laughs> gift card that yeah. basically builds a perfect profile of you. Yeah. And Which Disney princess are you? Right. So <laughs> by doing all this, how do we kind of rebel against this or say, you know what? I'm not going to feed into the, these advertising giants making money because they get all of our purchase ideas. Yeah, that's a good question, Neil. I, I recently had a, a similar conversation with someone else because I, I think, if you really look at it, if you are a, a big user of uh, Amazon's product portfolio, and I don't think a lot of people realize how much Amazon owns that's not branded as Amazon, like Whole Foods um, and Ring, and there's, there's a bunch of stuff out there they own, uh, you know, Amazon Prime, Audible, there, there, there's just a lot of stuff. I would bet you, if you use all of that stuff, they probably know more about you than any other company on earth simply because, you know, they're, of course, collecting all this data. So I think one of the things folks can do is try to limit, you know, make a conscious decision to limit the amount of information that you put out in digital form about yourself. Secondarily, try to spread your business around. You know, don't use every single service from Amazon. Um, don't use Google search engine. You know, Google was, in my mind, probably the most notoriously anti-privacy company in the history of the universe. Um, you know, there are other fairly good search engines out there like DuckDuckGo. Don't use Gmail. That's, I mean, they tell you use. that they read your emails. You know, they tell you they read your emails. 
Uh, they've started all this new stuff now. Like, you know, if you buy an airline ticket, they summarize all this stuff for you. So, you know, spread your services around. Use a service like ProtonMail, which is much more secure, and they have a free email service. So there are, there are some things you can do to use a VPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, use Tor. There's so, but, but most people don't really know how to do that stuff. Sometimes it or adds a lot of friction. Or they think it's you know. too difficult to learn or it's too complicated or why do I have to do that when I can just go online and search for it and I really don't care what they know about me. That's what I hear from people. It's like, well, I'm not trying to hide anything. And I said, it's not that you are. It's that why I agree completely. them yeah. all of the information and every single thing that you do. Like if you're buying all your stuff from Amazon, Amazon knows what you bought. Well, okay, well, you bought this, you bought this, you bought this. Why did you buy these things? Well, you're probably going to want to buy these things. Or they're analyzing the stuff that you bought and thinking that maybe now that data is being shared with some law enforcement because they think you're a risk because you bought some ammo and a hunting knife or something for deer season. Like, so it's, I, I'm a big fan of privacy and I'm one that uses DuckDuckGo. I've told hundreds of clients about DuckDuckGo as a search engine. So for those of you out there that don't know what it is, DuckDuckGo.com, not Google.com, do your search in there because it doesn't track what you're searching for. But bottom line is, all of I, I I really like what you said, Dave, about spreading the business around, so that you're you're buying some stuff from this company, some stuff for that company. Okay, maybe it's a few bucks more over here, but spread it around so that not one single company knows every little detail about you. Yeah, and like, don't use the Chrome browser, right? You know, that's Google sucking. You can you can bet they're sucking up everything that you're doing in Chrome. Oh, yeah. I'm sure somewhere deep down in the terms of service, it tells you all that. So, you know, use something like Firefox and use DuckDuckGo to search. Use ProtonMail for your free email. Yeah, you can, without a whole lot of effort even, it's not hard to certainly obfuscate what you're doing. You know, again, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like you. I don't have anything to hide, but I'm also not looking to broadcast every single thing that I'm doing to any of the one that wants to get it and wants to figure out how, you know, they can use it against me at some future point. I think that's kind of going back to the social media thing. You know, we keep seeing examples of people who posted stuff on social media five years ago, 10 years ago, probably didn't even really understood how, how it worked at the time. And now they like lose a contract today over it. You know, there's this recent story about, I don't, I don't really know the details, but some guy raised a bunch of money and got hooked up with Budweiser and they were doing something and they went back and found something he posted when he was 16 years old and killed his contract over it. That was, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was that the kid who, uh, he was on the news or on some sports show and he had in the background his, uh, his uh, Vimo account or something. And he was like, you know, Hey, you know, send me money for a case of beer. (laughs) And they, and he ended up getting like a million dollars sent to him. Just a bunch of people sent him like five, 10 bucks to get a case of beer as a college student. And he took all the money minus a case of beer and he donated (laughs) And Budweiser was like, oh, my God, this is such an incredible story. So they went and they took his picture and they put it on like a can. And then somebody did some digging, like you said, about something he posted when he was 16, some reporter. Well, guess what? They turned the tables on a reporter and found out that that reporter had made all kinds of racist comments or something in the past and he got fired. So So they they, they doxed him too, huh? Doxed him too, huh? Yeah. All because somebody's trying to do something beyond the scope of what they should have been. Well, and, and why, why do you, well, that, that's a whole other topic, but yeah, the, the <laughs> fact that people, people don't realize that this stuff is essentially forever now, you know, if you think back to it, like yes. 
when I was a kid, I could get on the phone with my friend down the street and our phone conversation was entirely ephemeral unless there was like a, a phone tap or something, right? Whatever we said, when we hung up, it was gone forever. Mm-hmm. Now, virtually everything that you're doing, to some extent, is it at least captured and stored for some period. True, of time. true. You know, no, um, for, forever. And, I would say, Dave, forever. And that meaning, I, like, so, there's certain tools. It was really interesting. I was at a, a Cupic. Um, uh, it was a con- for uh, crime scene investigators for colleges and universities. And this one product was a CSI product where they were able to be able to dig so deep into someone's cell phone, all these different things based on things that were already deleted based on this crime scene investigation software. So they were able to take everything of Osama bin Laden's activity, what social media sites he was on, everything, even though it was all deleted. They got yes, forensics. It's It's forensic software. It's it's crazy. crazy. What can be taken? It's like, so basically they could take my cell phone now. If they had access to my cell phone, everything I deleted, could still be found. Everything. That's scary. And then social media posts, anything you could get, there's companies that just can scrape and find those social media posts and that you deleted two years ago. Even though it's gone, well, it's never gone. Uh, that's that's a really good point. I generally tend to think the same way, although people, you know, tell me I'm I'm a paranoid nut. And you know, just because you're paranoid does not mean they're not out to get you. It means you're aware. But uh yeah, I, I agree with you completely. If you if you don't assume that anything you put in digital format, A, can escape whatever box you think it's safe in, like the whole celebrity nude thing a few years ago, right? These people are, are taking nude photos on their phone, don't realize that it's synced up to the iCloud. iCloud gets hacked and now this stuff is out there. You know, If you don't want it known, don't put it in digital form. Assume it's going to last forever uh, because, you know, you got to know. And get see. yourself a Polaroid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, get a Polaroid. And and I don't think people also understand, you know, from like a, a disk sanitization standpoint. I mean, you mentioned this forensic software. When you delete something, it's not really deleted. And if someone has the right skills and the right tools and or access to your equipment because you just threw it away, you set it out at the curb, you know, there could be really sensitive information on that, your bank account information, um, that is essentially falling right into the hands of people that want it because bad guys know they can drive around and find old equipment someone's thrown away and get who knows what off of it. And there's been at least two different studies. There was a new one that just came out about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, where they went out, bought 50 hard drive or 100 hard drives in the U.S. and 100 hard drives in the U.K. and just said, let's see what's on these things. Just went around to different places and bought used equipment. And just like the study that was done by MIT students about almost 20 years ago, they found all kinds of wild stuff on this stuff. And in many cases, people thought they cleaned it off because they did a format or they deleted it or whatever. But of course, that doesn't really destroy the information. It's still there for anyone that knows what they're doing to access. So that's another big issue for people. They don't really realize that if you just throw a phone in the garbage or an old computer in the garbage or give it to someone else, um, unless you've taken the right steps, whatever information was on there is still readily available to anyone that wants to access it. I, it's interesting you brought it, that up because that was actually where I was going to ask you about because we're, we're flying through our, our hour here. Uh, but yeah, sanitization is so important. I, I actually, years ago, I bought uh, software that is approved by the Department of Defense for data basically trashing drives. So it writes like all ones and it writes all zeros and it writes all ones and zeros. And that's basically, that's it. You can never get the data off. But how many people are going through that 
either A, because they have the knowledge to do so, or B, because they have the technology to do so, or they even care about doing it. Well, depending on what the stuff is that you're throwing away, you know, if you're throwing away some family photos on a drive and maybe some documents from school or whatever, all right, maybe it's not the end of the world. But if you've got financial statements on there and you've downloaded your, you know, payment information from online transactions that you've done, there is just a wealth of information out there. Not to mention if you've got social media accounts on there or synchronized Dropbox files or iCloud files or what have you. There's tons of stuff out there. So if people aren't familiar with that, that means get familiar. And if you are concerned about having that data, uh, you know, somehow getting into the wrong hands, have somebody who's a professional like myself, like Dave, like somebody that, you know, in a computer business and say, Hey, I got to make sure this data is completely destroyed and you need to, you know, sign off on it. And I have clients that do that with me. They're like, Hey, can you make sure that this is, you know, is gone. I say, yeah, sure. You know, and I'll, I'll take care of it. But it's, it's scary. Cause it is, that's interesting that people just going out there buying used drives and running some software that basically unformats it and sees and takes a look what's on there. It's like, Ooh, some juicy stuff potentially. A lot of wild stuff. Uh, first off, I agree with everything you just said. And, and I, I just want to throw in there for the conversation going back to like our IOT devices. So many more devices now have some sort of onboard storage, phones, tablets, printers, you know, all kinds Teddy of bears. devices are potentially, <laughs> yeah, storing information in them. You know, if you have a printer at your office, if it's any kind of decent printer at all, it's probably got a disk in it that can, you know, cache jobs and so forth. Just throwing that printer away may be exposing some extremely sensitive business information. So you, any kind of electronic device, I agree, Pete, you really probably should talk to some kind of expert and say, I want to dispose of this. It's obsolete. It's broken. Because remember, just because it's broken also does not mean I can't take the disc out and plug it into another device and access that information. You know, just throwing things away, giving them to charity or whatever is not a good plan. You need to make sure that you're taking adequate steps to erase, truly erase, sanitize the information that's on there. Or you may find yourself in uh, some serious trouble down the road somewhere when someone has access to your bank account or whatever else might be on it. Or just take the drive out and throw it in a safe. That way you don't have to worry there about hard drives this big. You know, you don't got to take the whole well, computer and throw it away. Pull your hard drive out. I, you know, put it in a safe. I, and then you got a backup copy of your data. And God forbid you got hit by ransomware. <laughs> I was just having a similar conversation the other day. I was talking to him. Yeah, I got like 10 old discs sitting around my house. What should I do with these? I'm like, well, you got a drill press. You could, you know, there's all kinds of different ways you could, you could potentially sanitize those guys. But, you know. One of my favorite ways is to like go to the gun range and put about 2308s through it. There you go. Probably not going to be able to recover any data off of that one. That's you know? good. Something I haven't like taken that. any hard drives to the range, yeah. but man, just like yeah. office space, there have been days I want to take some computers out there and smash them with it, a hammer or a it, sledgehammer. It, <laughs> exactly. It can be very satisfying to drill big holes in a hard disk platter with a 308 or something like that. Yeah. Oh, very that's satisfying. pretty funny. Oh, we have to talk about that. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Very interesting. So um, we've, uh, we, like I said, we're flying through here. I'm just trying to see if there's anything else I wanted to cover with you. Um, we mentioned VPNs briefly, and uh, I think a lot, not enough people understand what that is. I'll let you sort of take that one, Dave. Okay. Let people know why it's important to, to implement that if you're doing any sort of remote access as opposed to like remote desktop. Yeah, so VPN, Virtual Private Network, it's basically software that allows you to create an encrypted tunnel over the internet or over some sort of of channel so that whatever data you're sending from wherever you are to wherever it's going is encrypted. So someone can try to do like a man-in-the-middle attack or something. They can't read that data. 
Uh, it also gives you some privacy and anonymity to a certain extent. The, the big problem in my mind with VPNs, a lot of big corporations have VPNs. So if you're an employee, you want to work from home, you got to get on the VPN. You know, they understand the importance and the fairly strong protection that gives you for whatever data is going through that channel. Um, a lot of people will go out and say, well, I heard somebody like Dave or Pete talk about VPN. I'm going to get me a VPN. They just go search and they find the first thing that comes up and they download it because, of course, it's free. And it, yeah, okay. <laughs> Theoretically, it's the VPN, but they're sucking up all of your information. You know, the, the company who created the VPN, they're making it for free, not because they just want to be swell guys, because they want your information. So VPNs are good. Can't recommend it enough. You know, I, I don't use any kind of public Wi-Fi ever, period. I'll use a hotspot on the phone and still use a VPN. But if you're going to try to use any kind of public Wi-Fi without a VPN, you're just asking for disaster. You should get a VPN. They're fairly inexpensive. There's good companies out there like Nord that have a product that's, you know, you might spend 80, 90 bucks a year for it. They're not going to suck up all your data. And, you know, you're going to get an enormous amount of protection. The $90, $100 you're paying in a year is well worth it from an insurance perspective to protect your data. It's, it's, it's money well spent. Everyone should be thinking about why they need a VPN and finding some reputable company in the world. There's a bunch of others out there. Um, you know, uh, what I like to tell people is don't just take my word for it. There are organizations like ZDNet or CNET or PC World, you know, well-known, reputable magazines that have been around for decades that have editors that review this stuff, you know, and experts that dig into the code and understand what's really happening. Go out and search for best VPN of 2019. You're going to get like ZDNet and CNET or, or any kind of product, any kind of software-oriented product you're thinking about. I always encourage people to do the research, see what these editors have to say about these things. And, you know, you're generally going to get a pretty safe choice if you do that, as opposed to, you know, your mother-in-law or the guy across the street who doesn't really know what he's talking about. Right. No, it's well VPN good. Yes. You got to think about it as insurance for your identity and insurance yes. for your finances that goes well beyond the scope of anything else that you could be doing because we're all, out there. We all have digital lives. We have a, a footprint and that footprint continues to grow. And the more we do online, the more potential risk there is because we're connected to more networks. We're, you know, we're mm -hmm. have, we have more and more accounts. So as these things grow, I mean, your risk, you know, footprint grows as well. So you have to do everything you can to, to mitigate that risk, to protect yourself as much as possible. And uh, I really want to thank you for coming on Dave, because uh, it was a great conversation. I mean, oh, we, we great information for hour. sure. And uh, yeah. if, uh, you know, if our listeners uh, want to learn any more, the website is uh, intrust-it.com, correct? That is correct. Intrust-it.com. Very good. And any thanks last... for having me. I had fun. It was good. It was good. It was good. Sure. Well, any last trying, to, try, trying to keep up with you two on <laughs> cybersecurity. Uh, Come on now. And you're not, I'm, I'm going to continue to make my money on the internet. And if I won't be stupid enough to get scammed, but everyone else that doesn't understand that, go ahead and listen to these experts. Uh, you got to be very uh, careful in what you do, but ultimately enough, everything that you post is your brand. No longer are, you anyone is anyone a private figure we're all public figures we have to act as like we're public figures like a celebrity like something else because you never know what we post or what we do how it can come back to haunt us in certain ways that happened for celebrities for years before uh the social media where media became available to everyone right. and everyone needs to look at that 
regarding that or social media or websites or anything you all are now public figures and you have to act and act responsibly as a public figure not like an antonio brown but okay there you go. <laughs> and yeah. uh for all of our listeners uh as a uh, as a gift to to my listeners if you go to my it website pjcservices.com you can download a free cybersecurity checklist from there and that'll be a good starting point for you. It actually has a lot of information summarized uh, from what we talked about tonight, just some stuff that I already had out there that uh, I want to make available because you can't remember everything we talked about. There's a lot of good information that, uh, that we discussed here with our guest. And the bottom line is you cannot be secure enough. You can't be safe enough. And with the threats evolving and changing on a daily basis, it definitely makes good sense financially uh, as well as just from a, a standpoint of safety to protect yourself in any way possible. So Dave, thanks again for being on. Thanks for our listeners to tuning in and uh, for more information as well as our past episodes, go to safetytalkpodcast.com. Until the next time, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.